Do you feel that in a time when we are more connected than ever, we are drifting away from real human connection, especially to ourselves? I do. Hi, I'm Leticia Latino, and I want to invite you to join me and my very inspiring guests in exploring ways to reconnect to your essence, to your definite purpose, to what makes you tick. Are you ready? Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of Back to Basics, Reconnecting to the Essence of You. My guest today is Bina Sukumaran. She is the first woman dean of the College of Engineering and Computing at Miami University in Ohio. And her background includes several high posting positions, including vice president of research in the civil engineering department at Rowan University. She has done considerable work to enhance diversity within engineering and technology and has been recognized for this effort. She's a recipient of the New Jersey ASCE Educator of the Year Award, the Weapon Inclusive Culture and Equity Award, and in 2020, she was featured as one of eight New Jersey women whose fearless stories you should know for International Women's Day. Bina, it's such a pleasure to have you here in Back to Basics. Thank you, Leticia. It's uh, my pleasure to be here as well. Well, I'm I'm so excited because you encompass so many things that I want to talk about that I know this is going to be a great episode because uh, you obviously are an advocate for women in STEM and we'll get to that, but also you have an incredibly diverse background and journey. And so yeah. that those uh, people that listen to this podcast know that that's the part I enjoy the most, like learning how from childhood and from childhood dreams people, you know, walk through life and, and make their dreams come true. So let's, why don't we start right there? Tell us about where are you from and a bit about your childhood years. Sure. Yeah, I was actually born in Malaysia. So I grew up in Malaysia uh, for, I would say, until the eighth grade. Uh, and in between, I would, of course, visit India, which was the hometown of my parents. And then in eighth grade, I moved to India, and then I finished my high school there and did my undergraduate in India uh, before coming to the U.S. for graduate studies. Good. Uh, so, yeah. And, and in that journey, well, there's a few things I already want to ask yeah. that. So when you say, where are you from? Would you say, where, where do you say, what do you answer? Uh, you see, this is the classic immigrant thing, right? We're uh, really not sure where you're from. I, and, <laughs> I, and I ask it for that because I always so confused where the country I was born. Well, I live in my country, Venezuela, yeah. until I was 22. So I always say I'm Venezuelan, but it never really feels that, you know, it, it explains where I'm from. I wonder if yes. because you were born in Malaysia, yeah. do you feel that you're from there? I am, I would say I um, would still, you know, identify as Indian, uh, but I also believe I have my Malaysian roots. So I have that as well. That's uh, great. So, yeah. That's great. So so as a child, I understand your father was, uh, you know, uh, involved in the engineering. How did you get to, I don't know where I read, but you sound like you kind of knew what you wanted to do from early on. So take me into that, into how did you get to, to realize you want to be an engineer and you're going to study this? Yeah. So 
growing up, yes, my dad was in construction. Uh, so he had an associate's degree in civil engineering. So I would actually follow him on the job. And in those days, you know, OSHA was, at least in Malaysia, there's no OSHA. So I would go with him on the job. And uh, uh, from second grade, third grade, I remember those uh, times. I actually went with him, we went to his camps. Uh, they were, we were in this part of East Malaysia. So they were building some of the first roads, bridges, airports. And I'd go into the rainforest with them as they were surveying some of these areas and, you know, uh, thinking through what to construct where and so on. And I uh, was fascinated by it. And not that it, you know, it's, I do have two uncles and an aunt who are engineers as well. Uh, so I, I probably there's this engineering blood that runs in the family. So it, it sort of, seemed like a natural when I was uh, thinking about, you know, and, and in India at that time, the economy, I mean, it, it, it is hard. It was a hard economy to be in. And so, so I think that's why parents steered their kids uh, either into engineering or to medicine. And I had the option of doing either, but I chose engineering uh, just because I knew that is something I wanted. Right. And that's great because obviously you come from a culture where sometimes it's not uh, that rare that parents may be, you know, being that you're a woman. I was a woman and my parents are Sicilian and thank God they always empower me to study and all that. But, you know, yeah. I, I know families that are friends of ours where they say, you know, that they didn't encourage that much. And uh, you, would you consider, did you see that a lot growing up that maybe you got more encouragement from your family than some of your friends? In my family, for sure, I mean, I got an encouragement from both uh, my mom and dad, uh, the strong advocates for education. And, and they didn't differentiate between the daughter or the son. So, so um, I have a sister and a brother, and all of us are, I think, either have a PhD or an MD. That is fantastic. <laughs> you know, something that we, um, and, and around us too, it depends on, I would say, when I was thinking of coming to the U.S., so that would be the differentiator. So my parents were very supportive. I came as a single woman uh, to the U.S. to study, and there were very few parents at that time who would let their daughters come to the U.S. as single women. They would either uh, be married by the time they decided to come. Education was always a priority, I, I would say, in Indian society, just because of the economics, right? You need uh, if you want a job, you have to be educated. Uh, of course, they will place this uh, different levels of emphasis on who does what at home. But when it comes to outside work, I think there's a huge, uh, I mean, there's a big emphasis on it. I I imagine. And and of course, you, you, you had, you know, the challenge of the immigration, which I can relate to, yeah. but then you also have the challenge that you decide to study something that even in today's world, we are definitely the minority and, and going to engineering school. So I imagine back then you probably can count with one hand, maybe, or two hands, the, how many women there were in your class. Yeah. And, and you know, big difference, Leticia. So in India, in the region of India I come from, uh, we were 50% women in oh, our class wow. as undergraduates. Yeah. So, but when I came to the US for graduate studies, that is when it struck me. 
Uh, I had two women, in, uh, two including myself, in my graduate class uh, for my master's. And then when I went to Purdue, it was the same uh, for my PhD. For your PhD. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. You know, yes, if you don't, is, if you is. wouldn't tell me this, like people wouldn't believe this. And and I was just talking to someone yesterday, and I hope this comes across okay for my American friends. But you know, we were talking about how in Venezuela, growing up, we never really uh, noticed racism. Like we didn't notice if who's black, who's white. Who, we didn't grow up on that. And and we were both yeah. saying that the first time we realized that was when we moved to the United States. And yes. it's something I think that, that validates what you're saying too. Like maybe, you know, that here somehow the minorities really have a harder time, you know, being seen because certain things are a little bit more exacerbated than in other countries. That is very true. And I can attest to that from a gender standpoint in engineering. And, and in fact, I even did some cross-cultural comparison, Leticia, just to understand, right, uh, why was it that we had. And of course, uh, folks in the U.S. will explain it away as, you know, the economic situation and the lack of choices, right? But I don't think that is just the only reason. Yeah, uh, it's, it's a complex yeah. issue for sure. It's, it's a very complex issue. For sure. Absolutely. So, so well, you, you went all the way through doctoral level. So I'm not going to ponder if, if you're pursuing your passion, because I'm convinced that engineering is your passion and, and, and being in that. But I also know that, that teaching, you know, is a big component and, and your um, efforts in the inclusion and diversity and giving a voice where people don't have it. I know you're big on that. So I would love for you to share some of that part of, of your journey. Yeah. And, you know, uh, soon after my PhD, I went, uh, I did teach first, uh, but then I worked in industry for some time. I worked actually for an oil company and then I worked for a research organization in Norway. Uh, but I did feel I missed the students. I missed the thing about being in front of students. And I think I missed being able to not shape the next generation, but but to be there as a, I would say, as a role model, right? Uh, because there's so few of us. In fact, in my sub-discipline within civil engineering, we could count on our hands how many women there were, uh, you know. So, so it was important for me, I felt, to be in the classroom in front of young people. Uh, and I... And I knew I had a flair for teaching as well. I always enjoyed it. Uh, I, the, you know, I, uh, the adrenaline rush that I would get uh, just from being in the classroom, it, it, it's something special. So I, I definitely like that aspect. And then, you know, one of the things when I first started my position was that there were definitely lots of gender biases. Uh, too many to mention, uh, let's say. Uh, from, and it wasn't my colleagues, I would say, it was uh, sometimes the students, their peers, peer to peer, student to other students, right? Uh, where they would make remarks or they would feel, or they would exclude someone, or there was just a lack of understanding on what it means to be inclusive. And I saw that change with time. And, and I also, you know, uh, you saw how attitudes change. 
right? Uh, and I would say over the years, I've been in the profession, which is a long time now. Uh, and, and, you know, with this, uh, the Me Too movement, all these other, um, um, more awareness has been brought on these issues. Uh, uh, and But you still see the, I would say, the lack of equal representation, whether it be women, whether it be African-Americans, whether it be Hispanic, Latino, you know, uh, there's just an underrepresentation of these groups within engineering and technology. And, and we have made a little progress, but, uh, but we still haven't come to that point of achieving equity or where we, our profession reflects the general population. So it's still very, I would say, very white right, uh, dominated. And, and you see, I mean, this just what I've seen over the years is a lot more awareness of these issues that are being highlighted, uh, that talks about the, tech, the culture and sometimes tech firms and also in our classrooms, right, where uh, so people don't feel welcome. So how do we change that? Uh, so at least for me as an educator, I thought we could change some of the culture in the classroom culture in the colleges, right? Because that is where I can make an impact. And so, you know, so I'm a big proponent of how do we teach more inclusively. And when I say that, lots of my colleagues think, oh, you're going to dumb down the class. And that is not what I'm talking about. It is a question of, like, how do you make the material such that it is exciting, it is relevant, it shows some of the connections to what students have seen before, and they have aspirant role models that they see, right? That when we talk about our profession, lots of the people that we highlight as being successful in the profession doesn't look like our students. So how do we put people, and there are so many of them who, you know, have contributed from various aspects, uh, and we don't highlight some of these people. So I, I'm a big proponent of changing that and how we teach more inclusively and make it make the curriculum more relevant instead of just theory, uh, teaching theory, which sometimes students just don't relate to very well. Uh, no, I think that's an excellent point, and, and, and I think you're on to something. I think the stereotypes that we have, you know, and I, I think... We were in a different session together, you and I, and I think you mentioned that. And I love that how also the media and TV, they portray the typical engineering or, or STEM yes. candidate, you know, person to be the nerdy type that dresses in a certain way. Yeah. And that hurts because that then people that maybe like that, that are guided by that, but they feel the peer pressure. They don't pursue those careers because of what it represents in, in society. Yes. That is very true, Leticia. And, and, and in fact, I always used to tell my students, you can dress any way you like. You don't have to fit a stereotype. And I tried to model that even. I mean, I love, sometimes I like dressing up and I, you know, and I like wearing uh, nice clothes and nice shoes and, and I would do that. And I, and, and, and I have had actually some of my, Women students have come up to me and said, oh, you know, is it, is it okay if I wear a skirt to this? And I said, why not? You know, why, why do you think you cannot wear a skirt to this event? <laughs> I love it. I love you bring that yeah. because I, 
I don't think men realize how much we struggle over even how to dress, which is something, you know, they struggle about should I wear a tie or not, you know, or should I wear a jacket or not. We struggle that we each have our style. We each have our person and we really express who we are uh, with the colors we choose. And sometimes we have, you know, I know because I've done it, if I have a big, big meeting and maybe I say, man, maybe I shouldn't wear the pink jacket or maybe I shouldn't wear the pink shoes. But in reality, I should wear whatever I feel like wearing as long as it's professional. But even the color choice, right? It impacts. Yes. It impacts us. Very true. Yes. And we think about all this, right? And, and, and and I don't think our colleagues realize that. Yeah, and I, and I always say the day we don't think about this, then we make progress because and, yes. and the and the day they don't judge you based on what you're wearing, you exactly. make progress, right? I always yes. say I tell my husband we go out for dinner, and again I don't mean bad for men, but you know you go out and you see the woman like really making an effort in how she's dressed, she's looking beautiful, yeah. probably she had her hair done, and then you yeah. see the date. And the guy is in like flip-flops with a shirt outside. And I say, what is going on here? It's almost like we're going opposite extremes. Like the women are trying to, I guess we try to get more attention. And how you get more attention is you (laughs) you overdo it. And the men, you know, God bless them. They're more relaxed. They're just, you know, going out and they're more themselves in a way, maybe to a fault. But you, I see that trend. Yes. Right? Yes, and, and, and Leticia, even if you take, think about the tech industry, right, some of those stereotypes hold true uh, because who do we see in leadership in tech and how do they dress, right? And if you don't fit that mold, I have seen they will disregard what you have to say or they think you don't have anything valuable to contribute. And I've heard this even from the younger generation. Uh, where, uh, you know, they they said they felt excluded or they're not listened to uh, because they didn't fit that mold of What's what a person and yes, what is expected. It's tough. I, and, and I agree also that, you know, when I hire someone, you want to see the effort. And I'm sure you want to see also the effort in your students. Yeah. So it's not yes. to be saying that, well, you can be whatever and, and everything it should be fine. You can be you within certain, yeah. you know, being respectful, being professional. Yes. You cannot completely disregard certain standards. But yes. definitely we have to empower, you know, our younger generations. And I think they are a little bit more bold than than like my generation, I'm 48, but uh, that I see them, you know, they know what they know and they own it in a way that maybe my generation didn't. That is very true. Uh, and and I am from your generation, yeah. so, you know, That's, so definitely, and I see that. Yes, That's yes. why we see eye to eye. So, so share with us, what can we do or what are you doing to encourage more women to come into this kind of job? Because we have a long way to go, obviously, uh, there's still in telecommunications, my industry, you still see, you, you're seeing more women, but you know, then what you see is a lot of them are in HR. A lot of them are in the legal side. None of the, te- not many on the technical side of, of telecommunications. So this is something that's dear to my heart. And one of the reasons why I thought you would be perfect for this podcast. Yeah. So, you know, so I think, well, I've, even looked at the research, right? And and if you look, 
some of the social factors are the I uh, I think holding us back in some ways uh, because um, there were some studies that showed that children as young as six will start questioning their ability in math and science because of the messages either that they received at home or in the preschool or wherever they might be, right? As that young girls at six were saying, oh, I'm not good in math as the young boy. And, and so I think there's some social factors that we have to overcome. So I, I mean, as a university now, we are doing a lot of uh, outreach to K through 12, right? Just to tell them that these are the possible career choices if you pursue this track, right? And, and we try to get them excited through robotics or through coding and so on. Uh, but, but I also think every member of society has a part to play. And I would say that uh, if we want to mitigate some of those stereotype threats, because that is what typically uh, women and um, underrepresented minorities tend to have, that they suffer from the stereotype threat because somebody has stereotyped them uh, and they've received this message saying, oh, you can't be that good at science or math. And they uh, bottle it and then it shows up in testing when they're under pressure and so on, right? Uh, so how do we mitigate against that? I think it does definitely start at home, but it also starts with every member of society. And I even go back to even the toys that we buy for young children, right? Um, try to make it as, I mean, yes, there are preferences that every child will have, but we don't have to make it so gendered, uh, you know, that, uh, I mean, there are lots of young girls who like, Legos and who will like robots and who will like uh, computer programming. Uh, and so let's not try to channel them in one way or the other. Uh, you know, let them follow their interests and let them be who they want to be. Uh, that's what I would say. And the other thing that we, you should, uh, that especially K-12 schools should watch out for is some of the peer comments and peer pressure uh, that especially young women face as they go into middle school. They're going through lots of changes. The body is changing, you know. And at that time, uh, there are certain aspects in society that also become more pronounced. And that is what they've shown as the age when young women tend to lose interest in science and math, right? So, so we have to keep them interested. And, and, and teachers have a big part to play in that we don't let Peers shut them out of certain classes, certain courses, or they don't get that message that they're not good in some. I've seen lots of young women who have, I mean, the reason that we've seen a decline in uh, women as uh, programmers has been because of the advent of personal computers. So, so it is, you know, when personal computers came, I think families bought personal computers for the young boy instead of the young girl. And then it, that, you know, that bridge sort of, I, I, I think that gap widened. Wow. Yeah, I had never heard that, but makes yeah, total yeah, sense. Yeah. Makes total and, sense. And, and that is when we saw, because majority of programmers uh, post-World War II were women. And then it was a steady decline over the years. And then 80s came and there was like, you know, 
constant decline. And since then, it's always been on a decline. It has not regained this, this thing. Uh, and so, so I think society also has a part and all of us are members of a society, right? And all of us have a part to play. Absolutely. Uh, so I would say, let's start at home itself. And then, you know, then we can uh, make some, I think we should allow our young people to make choices based on their love and passion instead of telling them that they can't do this or they can't do that. Right? Absolutely. Well, this is why the whole purpose of this podcast, because I, I had that sense that people and young, I mean, adults more than kids are making the choices not based on love and passion, but made based on how much money I can make, how much, you know, like we're following the path in a different way rather than let the heart follow it. And what we do, unfortunately, as parents, if that's what we're doing, that's the example we're giving at home. And, And if that's the message we're telling ourselves, we obviously are not telling our kids a different message which means follow your, you know, and so that's kind of, you know, part of what I wanted to achieve with this podcast to begin with is how do we connect to that passion and that, you know, to that idea that everything is possible. Because as as you say, as parents, I feel I have a responsibility to really instill in my kids that anything you want is possible and that you shouldn't label that if you want to be an engineer, you have to be a boy or you have to look or you have to yeah. be perfect in math. I mean, no, there's many aspects of engineering, you know, that, that yeah. you know, that you don't have to be like uh, Einstein or any of the fame, mm-hmm. you know, geniuses to really pursue. That's why you no, study, you develop the, yeah. the knowledge, right? Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. so, well, that, that's, uh, I think that, that your, um, instinct to say, you know, we are a society, we can do this together, we have to start at home. That is really a powerful, powerful message. And uh, and so moving to, like, you, you of course, are the dean of, of, of engineering, so you, you are the dean of everybody, and with, you know, that consciousness about there's people that are maybe underrepresented that have had a little bit of a challenge more challenging times, but still, I'm sure you get asked all the time about leadership traits. What what is important that the young people develop when they are, you know, studying and as they start their careers? And there's rejection everywhere. We all know it. You know, you you, you anybody has had rejection, and and sometimes yes. I think. That our society, I see when, with my kids, when they go to school, everybody gets a prize. Everybody, everybody, I don't know. It's that I wasn't raised like that, you know, like, you no. know, but I feel that maybe we are raising these kids to feel that they are so special that then when they face the real world and they face rejection, they really don't take it well. And so... What's your advice for anybody that's going through that stage where, you know, maybe they went for the first job interview, got rejected, or things are not going their way? Because you saw your your share of roadblocks in your own journey. Yes, of course. And, and you know, I would say that if you have a passion, right, uh, keep that in mind. Keep the bigger picture in mind and focus on that. There'll be lots of failures. I mean, I don't know how many interviews I've had where I've been rejected, right? And as an immigrant, you know how challenging it is to get that first job. Yes. 
So just because you don't have the right visa and you don't have the right the paperwork. So it, it is a huge roadblock. And I remember even uh, when I finished my PhD, I thought, oh my gosh, oh, it will be very easy to land my first job. It wasn't. Yeah. I mean, you know, you just have to uh, interview and uh, you have to. And sometimes um, I also think Sometimes certain things happen for a reason, <laughs> and you know, and 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 it sort of charts your path forward. You know, uh, that doesn't mean that you fail, but it any uh, and I I have looked at each failure as also an opportunity to learn. Yeah. Right, you grow from it as a result when you fail, and you realize that maybe you should have done this better. Right, and then you focus on developing that skill so that next time you'll do that better. And 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 I think every failure is a growth opportunity, right. and you develop that skill and you become better. And keep the big picture in mind, right? And and, and focus on that. And and I think even with so, if you keep that big picture in mind, and you and you have a value system that you hold true to. That is what will guide you, yeah. <laughs> and and you know, yeah. <laughs> I, I totally agree, and 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 I mean, it's it, it it's obvious that you're a value-driven leader, and I think that's why you have a fulfilled career, why you obviously have an energy that's contagious, and that and and it's very important to remind, you know, uh, the new generations and and even as adults that, that you know those values are really your moral compass, and once you compromise any of those values that you stand for, you're yes. not going to end up in a happy place. No. Even no, if you get the job, a, right? That's very true. <laughs> that is very true. And you can be in jobs where you might be unhappy, right? And, and, and if you think it is a job where you have to compromise on a core value that you hold very strongly, uh, you should be willing to give that up because there's so many other jobs out there. Absolutely. You know, there are other options. Absolutely. No, I, I yeah. totally, totally agree with you. Well, you know, I can never end an interview without asking the magic question, and which is, what makes you tick besides your students, and which is obvious, and, and the love for teaching? When you get like a tough day and, uh, you know, you need to reconnect to really your heart and your soul, is there anything special you like to do? Yeah, I actually love to kickbox. Oh, okay. That's why no one messes with you, Mr. Mrs. Dean. <laughs> that comes in handy. <laughs> yeah, I, I I started kickboxing, I think, about 10, 12 years back. And I find that as a huge stress reliever. And I enjoy it. And now I just do it in my basement. I love know? it. So, yeah, yeah. I, I enjoy that. Uh, I think that. Cardio workout, and also it is a great stress relief. Right, it it just uh, puts you in a right frame of mind after. Well, you're lucky because once you can get that to get you thick, you exercise, you you train, you do everything. That's that's a blessing indeed that you can find that you know connection in in in, in kickboxing. You make me think. Yes. I used to do it a lot too, and then I stopped. Now maybe you're uh, inspiring me to reconnect with kickboxing. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else that inspiring that you're working on that you want to share with the audience before we part ways? Oh, you know, I always uh, 
think of new skills that I should acquire. And I am a very clumsy, uh, I can be a klutz. I always <laughs> trip, I fall. It's like I have two left feet, <laughs> but I want to learn to salsa. Oh, <laughs> wow, great. Well, as a Venezuelan, that's music to my ears, you know, because I love that people like to want to learn salsa. Yeah, so, but it is, uh, I know it will be a long path. Uh, my daughter has been trying to teach me, but, you know, then I try to watch YouTube and learn, but I think I need classes. Yeah, no, no, you, yeah you have to go to classes and that's a great, great hobby to take upon. I always joke yeah. around where I come from. Your social yes. life would be zero if you don't learn to dance very early. So I, oh, yes. I'm, okay. I'm even telling my bro my son, who's American and we live in Miami, yeah. I, and his dad yeah. is Dutch. So imagine like, I'm like, son, you have to learn merengue and salsa <laughs> because then it's an easy way, you know, to charm the ladies. You And, yes. and if you're yes. a girl if and you're a good dancer, that, you know, that's where we come from. That's already yes. a, a perfect excuse to you know, make a connection. And it's such a beautiful yes. way to dance with someone, to have someone ask you to dance. That's also yes. the old old fashioned way, which I, I find That's it so, so precious. And, and it's a, in a way sad that we've lost that in, in some cultures. Yes. yes. Well, yes. Uh, next time you come to Miami, then we'll go salsa. <laughs> <laughs> That would be lovely. That is great. Well, I think, you know, that uh, your student and, and Miami University can be very, very proud to have a dean of the School of Engineering such as yourself. And as a woman in telecom, uh, in technology, I feel very, very happy to know that there are women out there like you that are pushing this message and encouraging young women to, to also know that there's space for them in, in these kind of, of professions and studies. And, and so that's very, very happy to have you here. Well, Leticia, you are a role model yourself, right? I was just telling my daughter earlier, I said I will be meeting this amazing person who works in telecoms. And I said she has her own you know, entity and organization. Uh, so, so I'm, you know, so it's, people like you who also make it possible. Thank you, Bina. And the admiration is mutual. And I'm so happy to have had you here and definitely will keep up looking the amazing things you'll be doing up there. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Back to Basics. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook. If you haven't yet, subscribe Rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming platforms. This is the best gift you can give us. Join me next week for another Back to Basics conversation. And if you want to find out about other exciting things I'm working on, visit LeticiaLatino.com. Thank you and until the next time.